0: Just begin by paying homage to the Buddha. Namo Tassa, Bhagavato, Arahato, Sama, Sambutasa. Namo Tassa, Bhagavato, Arahato, Sama, Sambutasa. Namo Tassa, Bhagavato, Arahato, Sama, Sambutasa. Buddhang Dhamang Sankang namasami. So we have stepped over the threshold into 2021. Not, uh, sorry, sorry, sorry. What am I talking about? It was away from 2021, behind us, into 2022, indeed. We've stepped over the threshold into 2022. That number has a sort of a stability to it, in my experience. It feels kind of a bit more stable, all those twos. Um... And we've not yet gone through a whole day of this new year. And so the whole year, most almost the whole year is ahead of us. And just a tiny little bit of this year is behind us. Which we've spent in retreat. Great start. Um, so I have quite a strong sense um, Just sitting here with a with a like allowing my mind to open to the rest of this year, I have quite a strong sense of open an open space, an open space of not knowing, of uh, yet to unfold, and that's very pleasant experience. It feels uh, very aligned with reality. It's not uh, f- filled with plans and hopes and ideas, but it's uh, quite open. So, you know, we are we are shaping our life in every moment. And I used to, at one time, before I understood the Dhamma, uh, very well, I used to think that there was a certain sort of path in the future, there was a certain sort of trajectory and certain, certain, uh, almost like a road, you know, with with, uh, ter- with different places where you can turn off, you can go this direction or that direction, and, and that you'd have to somehow know right now where you're going to go and how to get there, and Not make any wrong turns. So I used to think in those terms of that there was a sort of a fixed path. And then uh, that, if if one thinks in that way, it brings up a lot of doubt because then you're, why am I doing? Am I going in the right direction? Is this the right way? Is this? Am I doing the right thing? Um, How can I get to where I want to get to? You get all of these. Thoughts coming up. At least I did. Um, but the future is yet to unfold, and it's not like it's a fixed future that uh, destiny that we're going to ine- you know, have inevitable circumstances. Except it one there's one inevitable circumstance, <laughs> and that is that we will die. This body will die. There's no way around that. So that's inevitable, but uh, when that happens, how that happens, where that happens, that we can't know. So here we are at this point in our lives, in our life, and we have the past behind us, our past actions, our past choices behind us. And we're right here, right now, in this place, in this situation, with this uh, with these particular strengths and weaknesses just like this. And the future is uncertain. So it's not that we uh, we just become passive and let that things just unfold without any effort or any direction. That would be continuing the same old in a way. That would be uh, well, depending. But if we don't uh, make right effort, wholesome effort, then you know that the the old bad habits will continue, and the and the good habits probably too. Um, but we'll just keep on going kind of in the same old direction that we were before, or perhaps around in circles. So you know, how we attend to this moment influences our, you know, our present and our future. And it influences our own experience and the experience of those who we come into contact with. So what we do with this situation is very, very important every moment. So karma, or karma in Sanskrit, is, um, so in the, in the Buddha's time, the word karma was already being used. And, uh, and the understanding was uh, that this was action. So what you do is your Karma. Karma is, uh, is another word for action or to do, and then the Buddha brought other, an extra nuance to it which is very important, and that is uh, the nuance of intention. So what you do with, with what intention? So, if, you know, One can do the same thing with several different int- intentions and have quite different karmic results. So he was pointing to how we uh, attend to our experience and and what our intention is in how we attend and how we respond to what we meet in the moment. So we tend to use this word karma in a way or kamma in a way that's a little bit... uh, Slightly misaligned, so you say, "Oh, it's their karma." You know, something happened. Oh, it's it's their karma. So it can be this this sort of it can be a bit of a dismissal, and it can be a bit of a even almost like a blaming. Oh, this, it's their karma. You know, they did these. They must have done bad things in the past, so they had this difficult situation now. But that's not quite the right use of the word karma. So karma is, uh, you know, it's, it is actually action action with intention. So it's not about uh, the results of our past actions, that's vipaka kamma, not so often heard word, vipaka. Vipaka is the results of our past actions and karma karma is what we do with those results right now, how we are meeting the present moment. So you know we could have all kinds of stuff coming up all kinds of difficult or wonderful things arising or nothing in particular arising in the present and the the karma is what we do with that do we just ignore the less interesting times or do we uh, get overwhelmed with greed for something more interesting more exciting more spectacular um, when things are good, you know, do we get grandiose, you know, do or do we want to hold on to those good times forever, or do we want to share them with others? You know, is there an altruistic intention? And when times are difficult, you know, do we fall into the poor me, the victim, or the blaming others, or uh, getting angry, resentful, or can we accept the situation that we're in and in accepting it we're not at war with it and not being at war with it, we have a bit more energy to bring to the present moment. So even when things are really difficult and sometimes we need to make changes in our life and make boundaries and uh, say no to certain things. But if we're at war with the situation we're in, we're we're kind of very entangled. So instead of fighting the situation, we recognize this is painful. I don't want to be in this. So how can I best meet this? In a way that will help things to move on. So that is the the karma that we bring to the present moment, the action with intention that we bring to the present moment. And uh, you know, if, if our if our action if our intention is you know overwhelmed with greed, hatred and delusion, or any of the any combination of the three then the result is going to be dukkha. It's going to be unsatisfactory. It's going to be perhaps painful. And this is just a law of nature. We can't really get around that. And it's not that it'll necessarily uh, feel like that immediately. We might feel great for a little while. But sooner or later it's going to come and kind of whack us from behind, or from the side, and uh, so the Buddha is really strongly guiding us, urging us to be clear of our intention in the present moment, of how we meet this moment, because how we meet this moment changes everything. And uh, as I've said before on this retreat, know that what we feed with our attention, we we are literally feeding it, nourishing it. So if we're getting absorbed into uh, unwholesome states, getting lost in fantasies or um, thoughts of harm or resentment or self-pity then uh, we're, we're nourishing those unwholesome qualities we're, we're missing the, the beautiful and powerful sparkling presence because our mind is not here it's, uh, it's caught in a story of how things should be and how things shouldn't be and it takes a certain faith, actually, to, to trust that if we just really, if we're really present, we'll know what to do, we'll know how to respond. That there's a, there's a deeper wisdom than our thinking mind, than our rational mind, that actually understands and knows how to respond to life. And that if we're aligned with, you know, if our values are aligned with integrity, Aligned with ethics and integrity, then the response will be within that, within that framework. And I don't know if it's useful to you or not, but for me it was very helpful when it finally dawned on me that I am the owner of my kamma, heir to my kamma. Born of my kamma, related to my kamma, abide supported by my kamma. When I fi- when it finally dawned on me after chanting that many many times, oh, that means the situation I was born into was what I, you know that was what was coming to me. That's what I was meant to be born into, and the the, the blessings and the challenges that I experienced were the results of. Past karma. So it's like, for me, when I really, when that really dawned on me, when I realised, really, sort of took that in, there was no more room really for why did that happen and and that was so unfair and couldn't it have been more and if only there was no room for that. It was just ah, I see. It, It belonged to me. The things that have happened in my life. Uh, i don 't know how else to say it, but they belonged they were they were meant to be that way. There were lessons to learn, and there were um, debts to pay and uh, and strengths to cultivate so when we think in those terms, karma you know often the way it's it 's spoken about it it 's almost as though um It's almost as though there's a sort of a destiny to it. It's like we're just a bit helpless and our karma's going to ripen and we'll just helplessly have to experience all of these things, whether they're difficult or or pleasant. But it's, uh, it's actually pointed to the opposite to that, that we will receive the results of our past karma, and what we do with that is up to us. Whether we use that for transformation, for furthering the path, or whether we use that to increase the sense of self is that's our choice. That's where we have some agency, as long as we have uh, some understanding, you know, of, of the path and a certain just enough awareness. The stronger the awareness, the clear, clearer awareness, and the stronger the sati, the easier it is. The stronger our sati and awareness, the easier it is. Then we don't get pulled into the old whirlpools of um, of me and mine in the same way. And if uh, sati is not very strong, then we have to work hard. We have to be very very discerning and. Uh, Sharp you know like really really pay attention to where our mind is being pulled, but the the karma is for us to make right now, here and now, and uh, you might think, well, why would I want to make karma? I want to end karma i don 't want to make karma, I want to be done with that whole karma business so uh, just like that little beautiful nutshell teaching uh, that I said earlier in the retreat to refrain from doing harm, to do good and purify the mind. This is the teaching of all the Buddhas. So everything we need to know in some ways is right there. I mean we do need more detail but it's, it's kind of the nutshell. And So that's saying stop making unwholesome karma make wholesome karma it's not saying don't make wholesome karma make wholesome karma generate good karma here and now and purify the mind that's the ending of karma that's when we're not uh, we're not adding and we're not taking away when we're just with when there's a, when there's a, when we've built up a strong enough foundation that there can just be a a full presence with Without uh, the pushing and pulling, wanting and not wanting, becoming or wanting to annihilate, you know, all of those things, when there's the purification of karma, when there's the purification of the mind, it's like those things are just burning up in consciousness. So it can be that there's um, strong things arising, but they're just being held in awareness. So they're just. Uh, I think Isisanthieta mentioned it actually in her talk about uh, yesterday, uh, about um, a couple of days ago. Uh, the fire, you know, you can contain the fire, you can put the fire out, or you can just contain that fire and it'll burn out on its own. So that's like purifying the mind. You just, you just don't give it any more fuel, and, and it, it's it eventually just burns out, burns away. So this is our opportunity as practitioners, as Dhamma practitioners to not just to follow the same old habits, easy though that is to do, but to to put in effort to uh, transform the old habits of mind. So the four right efforts, I'm sure many of you know them and uh, And we can know these teachings, these these very handy lists that the Buddha laid out for us. He, he was so such a good organizer and so kind of thoughtful. He kind of got it all very, very clear and very systematic and practical and kind of available to all sorts of different people or different capacities, and it's was, it was brilliant and incredibly generous and clear and amazing. So these four right efforts, you've probably heard many, many times. And it may be that even having heard them many times, you, you don't really practice them. Perhaps. Or perhaps you do sometimes, and then you forget. You know, if you're like me, do it for a while, and then, oops, I've forgotten. Oh, that old thing again. And then, so it's good to be reminded, even of these very simple teachings. So those four right efforts to be uh, practiced here and now. So The first being the effort to uh, not arouse unwholesome states that have not yet arisen. So to not lay the ground for unwholesome states to arise that have not yet arisen. And this is a kind of an interesting one because it can seem a little obscure at first. But you might notice that there are Certain things that you maybe do again and again that you know are pulling you in the wrong direction that you know you don't really want to do, but you keep doing them, so what are the causes and conditions for that the, that situation to arise? you know it may be uh it may be a compulsiveness, you may have a compulsiveness that you just have to keep following, keep following, keep following. And, it's, uh, and, it's, and it, you know, it pushes you around and gets you to do things you don't really want to do. So then getting to know the feeling, that push inside, that's, that's pushing you out of the present into something that is promising satisfaction but never really delivers it for very long. So that might be one situation where you, instead of just following that compulsion, you stop. And take a breath. Surprising how powerful taking a breath is. There are two things that are very powerful in stopping habits, in my experience. One is taking a breath, taking a conscious breath. Amazing. Sometimes you need three and another, the other is feeling your feet on the ground. Simplest, simplest things can stop all kinds of trouble. So, you know, if you have this uh, strong compulsion, taking a breath and letting go on the out-breath, feeling the agitation, the pressure, the urgency, maybe hearing the thoughts that come with it. Come on, you need to. And then taking another breath and, like, okay, no not going to do that. And then instead of being, instead of jumping straight to aversion, because that's something what we can do, just immediately then we, you know, we, we're averse to the unpleasant feeling inside. Instead of being averse, get interested in it. So feeling is, uh, feeling a sensation or feeling tone is just that. It is just a feeling tone. It arises, it's there for a while and it changes and then it ends. All feelings have that same process. Everything does, actually. So one can get uh, interested in that instead of immediately buying into it and following it and getting pushed around by it. Or it might be um, more of a lazy inclination. It might be like oh, I don't really want to get up yet, I'm just going to stay in bed for a bit longer. And then, uh, you know, it might be that that starts the day with a whole kind of unravelling. It might be uh, getting up late, getting late to work and Getting out here, know, feeling irritable, and other people being irritable with you, and then it's like, or whatever it may be. So, if that's the, if that, you know, if, if laziness <coughs> is the, um, if, is is the proximate cause for unwholesome states to arise, then know that and work against it. And it won't feel nice, this is, the, this is the difficult thing, you know, it doesn't feel nice on the short term. It doesn't feel nice not to follow the compulsions on the short term. It means you have to feel an unpleasant feeling in the moment. It doesn't feel nice to pull yourself out of bed in the morning when you really actually want to just stay in for another hour and it's cold and you don't want to leave the warmth of those blankets, it doesn't feel nice. But it's, uh, it's a short, unpleasant feeling for a, for a longer freedom, actually. Not just pleasant feeling, but freedom. So we have to kind of work against those, um, it's, it's kind of again, these leanings towards comfort. If we always stay in a certain comfort zone, then we, we don't grow, we don't learn, we don't let go, we don't shed what we need to shed. So knowing the proximate cause for unwholesome states to arise in you, in your mindstream, in your heart. Not as a kind of theory that you're going to write an essay about, but for you. How does it manifest in your life? And then attending to that. So it's like, okay, if, if rolling over and staying a bit longer in bed is the cause for unwholesome states to arise. Don't do it. Get up. Throw those blankets off. Ugh. Get out of bed. Ooh. And then you know, bow. It's a good start. Bow to the Buddha. Bow to your path. It's a great start. And, uh, and you'll find very quickly the, the unpleasant feeling shakes shakes itself off, and there's a, maybe even a bit of an exhilaration, or even a little bit of a shock, like, oh, the mind's kind of shocked into being awake. <laughs> so, uh, so that's one, there's a couple of ways that we can take care around um, not arousing unwholesome states that have not yet arisen, Then please look for yourself in your own life, what's, what, what's relevant very honestly, and then there's recognizing the unwholesome states that have arisen so uh, you know sometimes conditions are really challenging, and they can sometimes can be kind of chronically challenging <laughs> you know it happens in one's life that they, they'll be it might be in a work situation or in a relationship or in a living situation or. Um, even a, even a, you know, It can be even huge, like, you know, it can even be like one's whole culture, the whole culture that one lives in is challenging. So uh, there are often good reasons, in inverted commas, for, um, you know, for holding states of aversion. So I just want to be clear when I say that I, I don't mean that there really are good reasons. I mean, we can often find and, and hold on to what we would call good reasons for, cult- you know, for being aversive, for being uh, resentful, for being, for having self-pity, for uh, even for having thoughts of harm. You know, we can we can justify, but uh, this to do that is not aligned with the the Buddha's path of awakening. So, uh, when we're doing that, we've we've stepped off the path. We're going in a different direction. And as soon as we notice that we're doing that, that we're cultivating aversion, we're cultivating unwholesome states. As soon as we notice. If we can reflect for a moment and recognise there may be a different way, then there's a potential to drop that uh, those unwholesome mind states. Or if there's, if we can't drop them, then at least know that you know this is this is unwholesome. It's got some momentum. Maybe I've been feeding it for a while, I can't quite drop it yet. But I want to drop it because it's it's really not serving me. And it's not really benefiting anybody else around me. So sometimes you have to just start there and just feel, again, feeling the unpleasant feeling. And that's, uh, if we if we're practicing in the right way, then that, it can be like the dukkha that leads towards the ending of dukkha feeling the unpleasant feeling and knowing, I don't want to follow that, that's not the way I want to go. And allowing the unpleasantness of of uh, you know, the aversion or the resentment, or whatever, allowing the unpleasantness of that to be really conscious with the unpleasantness of that, um, so that it inspires us on to, to let go of it. So that can be a way, and uh, and with greed, you know, greed is as, well, they're all tricky, but greed you know it's sort of, it can be, again, it, it can sort of have a little story as to why it's really important to <laughs> follow that, you know, to have that nice thing that's in the cupboard or fridge, or uh, to run after that lovely vacation, or uh, to you know, spend beyond one's means on that lovely outfit or whatever it might be that one does. You know, they often have those good stories along with it. where you really have to, it's really good, and it really doesn't really matter, and it's okay that I'm enormously in debt because you know everyone is. It's normal, isn't it? So let's just spend a bit more. You know, why not It'll make me happy? So you know, those stories come along with greed, and so we need to sort of recognise that they, they there are these stories that sort of pull us, and also where is the you know where does, where is the greed arising? Is it in the eyes? Are we just like, oh? Are, the, are our eyes kind of pulling us into wanting? Or is it the nose, or the ears, or the mouth, or the body, or the mind? Where are we getting pulled? And uh, you know, when we recognize so sometimes we have to go quite a long way down the wrong road before we really recognize it's taking us in the wrong direction. Uh, so greed, it can be that way, you know, we we want, we, we follow our greed for so long that it's starting to harm us, it's starting to kind of destroy our life slowly, and then we realize like, oh, we've got to do something, this isn't working. And and uh, whenever it is that we notice that we're following the unwholesome states in that way, uh, we we drop it. If you can, just drop it. It can be difficult, it can be um, embarrassing sometimes also. But it's so, so worth it. You just put it down and walk away. Put it down and do something else if you need to. Something less harmful. Until you can change those habits. Keep us uh, dragging, keep dragging us down. So taking care around the unwholesome qualities, not, not creating conditions for the unwholesome to arise. And if the unwholesome has arisen, letting it go, putting it down, dropping it, learning how to let it go. And then, of course, there's the, the wholesome, the cultivation. Cultivate, so to, uh, to actively cultivate wholesome states. So there's this beautiful line, this, I love this line in the suttas that comes up again and again not shirking one's responsibility of cultivating wholesome states. So great. So he's not saying be passive and let it all happen, he's saying as a practitioner, it is your responsibility to cultivate wholesome states. It's our responsibility to actively cultivate the wholesome. It's kind of exciting, actually, when you think about it. What a great responsibility to be given to cultivate wholesome states. And it can be fun, you know? it can be creative, you can look for opportunities. Um, you know, How can you bring something wholesome into a situation that's difficult? Or that's very ordinary, like you know, driving your car from A to B, many opportunities for wholesome states to arise and for unwholesome states to arise. But if you're practicing, you know, lots of opportunities for generosity, for patience, for uh, um, for mudita, you know, for care, for for mindfulness. So many opportunities, and just a simple thing like. Driving to work, or, yeah. So when we're dedicated to cultivating wholesome states, we can find opportunities everywhere. It can be quite fun, and and you can you know there can be like it doesn't you don't have to um, make announcements about it. You know, everybody needs to know that you're doing that practice, but it's. Uh, you can, you can find opportunities. And also, one doesn't have to hide it either. You can, it can be known. You can celebrate it. It's a wonderful thing to, to do good and to cultivate the good in the world. And in one's own heart and mind. So I'd like to uh, invite you to uh, look for opportunities. I really would like to say on a daily basis look for opportunities to cultivate wholesome states. And then the the fourth of the right efforts is to, once a wholesome state has arisen, to maintain and take care of that wholesome state, to uh, nurture it, to uh, support it, to strengthen it. So this is a really beautiful practice, and uh, and they work together, these four, so if we don't diminish the unwholesome, it's quite a hard work to cultivate the wholesome, but if the unwholesome has been diminished, a situation, a given situation that might arise, you know, if we, if, so, say a, a situation arises in our life which is challenging, it happens once in a while, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> So a situation arises that is challenging, and then there are these different possibilities to respond. We can let it bring up all of our unwholesome states. We can blame. We can uh, resent. We can feel sorry for ourselves. We can harm, destroy. We can do all sorts of terrible things. You know, that's one way. Don't that's not the Buddha's way. Um, or we can feel that challenge, feel the, feel the difficulty, feel there, maybe even feel the aversion arising and then recognise, okay, I don't have to go this way. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to follow it this time. So what if I just override my aversion and... Do something or say something or even think something, that's opposite to that. So I learnt this actually from uh, um, someone called Billy, Billy Fitz uh, in Liverpool. He taught me many years ago this practice of replacing one thought with another thought. And at the time I thought, am mm, not sure about that, that doesn't sound quite right, but it's actually very, very good practice. So you've got one thought in your mind and you don't have to follow that if you put in another thought a thought that's wholesome, a thought that's further leading so the same situation instead of you know spiraling down into our unwholesome states okay how can i um, how can I either develop something good some strength here in responding in a skillful way or bring something good to the situation that might help to change it, to transform it. And then uh, whether it's received or not, how do I maintain that in my heart? Whether it's recognized or not, whether it's appreciated or not, how do I maintain that wholesome quality in my heart? Because we're not doing it to get a, a you know to get a pat on the back. We're doing it because it's aligned with Freedom, joy, peace, it leads in that direction. So uh, those four right efforts are in, in a way the, the karma that we bring to each moment. And our attention is essential as part of the process. If we're not paying careful attention, we'll just follow old habits. And if we're paying careful attention, we have a choice in the moment which direction we're going to go, what we're going to cultivate and what we're not going to cultivate. And then uh, you know, as we cultivate the wholesome states and as we gradually free ourselves from those old habits of, um, that, well, those, those things that pull us back, that weigh us down then we, we have more possibility, more agency to uh, allow the purification of mind. And also as we develop a stronger awareness, you know, it's the awareness itself that is that which purifies the mind. So the stronger our awareness is, the stronger our sati is, the, the easier it is, the more accessible it is to just let that stuff burn up and, and end. So here we are at the beginning of 2022, in this moment, with this possibility, with this opportunity, and uh, we have no idea how this year will unfold, but we can bring presence to this moment. And whatever arises, whatever arises in this moment, if we have clear attention, if we have sati, sampajanya, clear attention and uh, a sense of context or understanding, then we can respond in a way that leads to greater freedom. For ourselves and for others. So I would like to... uh, Offer that challenge to you today and to me for this year to to cultivate those four right efforts and to let them transform your path and your practice and your life and the lives of those around you. Thank you for listening.